0: listening to the ace broadcasting network Allison, Rosen. this week on Allison Rosen is your new best friend James Gunn I think that because of movies everyone thinks if you like someone just tell them when in real life usually in my experience when you tell someone they already knew that so what so, therefore, the fact... I think that's almost always true, too. Yeah. But so what? Well, because but sometimes, is- like, so, there's a lot of women out there who are clueless. Like, totally clueless over to whether somebody's interested in them or not. We've made you think that. Subscribe to Allison Rosen as your new best friend on iTunes. Only on the Ace Broadcasting Network. Allison's your new best friend. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who likes Macintosh apples. Hi, folks. Welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And this is a first for This Week with Larry Miller. It's a first for me. It's a first for Colonel Jeff, who is back in the studio at Ace Broadcasting in his new office, and... The reason I say that is because I am not. I am in Springfield, Massachusetts, in room 824 of the Sheraton Monarch Hotel, and I'm not unhappy about saying that because I'll be leaving this room in this hotel exactly after we finish taping this episode because I've been working here in keeping with our, our theory of plugging jobs. After I've done them, I've, I was working at a wonderful place, City Stage, in Springfield, Massachusetts, and uh, just had four really good nights, really good shows. And today I go to Toronto, and uh, then I have a little job in between in, in Washington, D.C. I'm not uh, plugging those now. I'm just saying that there's going to be a bit of uh, jumping around, a bit of traveling. But this we're Skyping. So we're Skyping. This is uh, We haven't Skyped in eight months or so. And so the Colonel is back at Ace Broadcasting and I'm here in room 824 at the Sheraton Monarch, which has been a terrific room, uh, by the way. And uh, it's just a regular room. Actually, it's very odd because, I don't know why I'm whispering, I don't want to offend the room, but the the, the TV and the producer of the show here, Tony, Tony Retano, who, who travels with the uh, cocktails with Larry Miller sometimes, had the same thing in his room. I walked by his room two days ago. We've been here five days, and I walked by his room, which is just a couple of doors down. And the TV was so loud, it was blaring. And I thought, oh, well, I didn't know this about Tony, but he's obviously out of his mind. And uh, but he, the TV just came on. It was like a ghost room, and the the TV just had uh, came on on its own, very very loud. And he called up engineering. And, you know, they said, very nice guys, by the way. It's not their fault. But they – and and I, I haven't – I could have called them too uh, because – and I, I did for the air conditioning. The reason being is because these, these have been kind of like ghost rooms and things just happen and suddenly go on. And uh, in his case, the TV just came on and they gave him what I think – it's fine. I really like the guys. It doesn't doesn't bother me. But they gave him what I think is the bedbuck – The bed bug letter answer that they used to give on trains in the 1920s and 1930s, because people used to call up when they were sleeping in a Pullman car or something and people taking trains all over the country, they used to call up after the trip or write a letter. People wrote letters in those days, so they would write a letter saying, hey, you know, there were bed bugs in... My compartment or my room or one of those uppers and lo- lower things they used to have used to say there were bedbugs and I, I, you know, it was really annoying and I, and I had a terrible night's sleep and they always got back. This was common knowledge <laughs> after this stopped. They would get back what was called the bedbug letter which was, we are so sorry, and thank you for bringing this to our attention. And it's, uh, you know, we're going to get right on it, because obviously, we don't want this to happen. But the point being, they never did anything, because they were never going to do anything. And it was just the bed bug letter that that people felt better, because they got a response. But if you think about it, the company is not going to go to every train and say, let's get these bed bugs out of here. They just send the letter, and then, Send the train back to Chicago, so in any case, I think they gave that's the answer they gave Tony of just uh oh nothing wrong with the t v you know, so that 's never happened before, and then they came to me by the way, because my air conditioner wouldn't go off i i i don 't need that much air conditioning in uh, in a hotel room or anywhere in life. And sometimes, I like it, If I'm, especially I'm in a room for five days, I like the air just being still. I know that may, you know, uh, make get a little close for people, and they may not have the same taste I do, but I just leave, sometimes leave things off. And I woke up in the middle of the night once and it was really cold. It was, I was, and I, by the way, I don't, I, I sleep with layers on, I sleep with a t-shirt and then pajamas over it and gym shorts underneath and then the pajama pants over it and with socks, I put on white socks. I like sleeping that way, it's comfy. So, and plus I was under the quilts and it's so I called engineering up the next day and said gee can you turn they were very nice fellows and came in and I said could you turn the air conditioning off and they said uh, well that's not the air conditioning that's the outside air and I said I'm sorry what do you mean and they have a new system he said well uh, we're going green here at the hotel and as soon as I hear that by the way I'm sorry but as soon as I hear that I was thinking oh here we go what does that mean well what it means is that that unless if it's below a certain temperature outside you can't turn the heat on inside or if it's above 61 you can't turn it down so they have outside air coming in that's on a constant flow system so it's just on all the time he said well that's fresh air for outside and I said to him well can we turn it off and he said well you can't turn it off but it's fresh air and I said well I'm I'm cold though. Can I not be cold? I mean, and I was, I was, you know, we were smiling and laughing with each other and I said, so there's nothing, uh, there's nothing to do. And said, no, it's just always on. And I said, well, what progress we've made then? How nice to know that. uh, So we're going green and so you're going green and I'm going blue. Is that what you're telling me? But we we all laughed and they were nice and said, hi guys. And all right, thank you very much. And then I spent three more days in a room with, air just blowing in and loud by the way it blows in the bathroom and it blows in in the regular hotel and it's just a regular hotel room it's just a regular hotel room with a bed in it so it, it blows and so i don't know what that means that they went green i don't know all i know is that i can't turn i couldn't turn the heat on even to warm it up a little bit and i couldn't turn the outside air off once again we're really moving forward in any case we're skyping it's fun and let's just plunge right ahead because, once again, I haven't even credited yet the wonderful music they play. And, as of course, as always, they're terrific. And that's, of course, the Stephen Travado Orchestra and the Stephanie Mabry Dancers featuring boy tenor Seth Wanta asking the musical question, If silence is golden, how do you explain the trumpet? Which the Colonel and I thought was very funny. And he said, by the way, <laughs> Colonel Jeff said to me, hey, how do you like that? It actually is. A musical question. And I thought, holy mackerel, that's true. That may be our first actual musical question. In any case, though, uh, that's that's pretty funny. If silence is golden, how do you explain the trumpet? And by... Amazon. Amazon Amazon.com. That's right. Amazon.com. Amazon.com. Where you go for everything. You go to Amazon.com. You hit everything in the world, anything you can possibly think of in the world that you want outside of an actual Amazon. You go to Amazon.com and you can get it there. Right? No. Wrong. Not right. Wrong. What you do is you go to our website here on the show, LarryMillerPodcast.com. And, uh, hey, that sounded like shaving a haircut two bits. LarryMillerPodcast.com. And uh, you go to that, and there's a banner there that says Amazon. And you click the banner after having gone to LarryMillerPodcast.com. And then you go to Amazon and you buy anything there and we get part of that money and as I'm fond of saying and as people uh, know that when they listen to the show regularly uh, Amazon has been very nice to us but as soon as we start making real dough here you'll be the second to know and uh, some of it will go to buying drinks for everyone at Ace Broadcasting some of it will be perhaps getting me into slightly nicer hotel rooms where I can turn the heat on if I feel like it (laughs) if I'm really really cold by the way, it it uh, it reminded me and this is this is true when uh there's a movie called Undercover Blues that was uh, starring Kathleen Turner and Dennis Quaid and I was in that and it shot in New Orleans for 2 months. Oh boy, this is I guess uh 92 something like that, 93 and uh New Orleans is, this is before the floods. It's a wonderful place anyway. New Orleans is always such an interesting, cool place. But it was in the summer in New Orleans. It was in June and July in New Orleans, which is very hot. It's a very, very hot place. But the thing about New Orleans is that because it's so hot, people, all malls, all stores, all restaurants, turn the air conditioning on so high that, no kidding, just by walking into a mall or a Brooks Brothers or anything, just by walking in from outside, you actually seize up. You actually, <gasps> you gasp, and you know you feel every muscle in your neck because it's—it's it's, the air conditioning is pumping so high. And this is absolutely true. I was in that hotel room for two months. It was a lot of fun. I mean, it was a, good, it was a pretty good movie, I think. And uh, it was a lot of fun being in New Orleans. And uh, I was in the same exact hotel room for two months in a nice hotel, and I never... Turned the air conditioning on once. And just what came under the door from the hallway kept the room so cold, I had to wear two jackets just to be in the room. That's how high the air conditioning is in New Orleans. That was when I really learned about how, by the way, everything is related in New Orleans. Everyone, everyone is, you know, the, the cops on the set. Would always say to you, "Oh, that's right, because Tom Arnold was in the movie." And they'd, they'd come up and they'd say, "Do you know to me or to Tom or to uh, Dennis, uh, So where are you going tonight? You know they all had that Cajun accent, and uh, we'd say, "I don't know where you we going." He said, "Well, you want to go get you get get a nice drink somewhere? You want you look get a nice drink?" and uh, to look at each other and uh, by the way Dennis was doing that great Cajun accent in a movie after that called the Big Easy but in any case uh we said well I don't know we are thinking maybe go to this place or that place no nah, you don't want to go there that's a they rook you there that's not a good place i talked I'll, I'll pick you up i'll take you to a good place so they would pick us up and take them to his brother's place that's how entwined <laughs> it is in 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 New Orleans by the, and by the way uh one more uh word about this hotel here uh yesterday 2 days ago it became the headquarters for a dance festival, one of those eight-year-old girl, ten-year-old girl, twelve-year-old girl dance festivals. So all the mothers and the girls have racks of costumes, and that's fine, by the way. No, no, I'm not, not making fun of that. If they, they like that, they like that. That's fine. So every elevator was full with girls with, you know, glitter on and uh, and makeup and like and sequined things. And that's fine because, by the way, they all watch my wife's show, Shake It Up. So every time someone would say to me, hey, do we see you on Shake It Up? And I could say, well, it's my wife's show. And so it very, it's very exciting for them. But the point is they all spent the last two days running in and out of each other's rooms. And I mean hundreds and hundreds of girls and constantly running in and out, in and out, in and out. And because they're a certain age, I think boys would do this too, they just slammed the doors. So it sounded, if you can imagine, and it's one of those hotels that's an atrium where all 12 floors are open in the middle. So no matter what floor the door is being slammed on, you hear it. And it sounds like if you were approaching the Battle of Waterloo from about three miles away and you heard from over the hill the thumping of the cannons, if you heard... Because they had 700 cannons. So if you would hear that... This muted sound from over a hill, that's exactly what it sounded like here. And by the way, good luck trying to tell seven year old girls or their mothers or someone at the desk, could you please ask them not to slam the doors so... It was just it was just kind of cute more than anything. And then we had the ghost room with the air conditioning going on and the and the and the and the, and the, and the TV's just going on. But it's it's been wonderful here. I don't mean uh, that to say that this wasn't fun because it was it was five nice days and I'm I'm leaving afterwards, which perfectly brings us into or at least brings us into or at least I'm going to do it an Uncle Arnie update. That's right, it's an Uncle Arnie update. An Uncle Arnie update. Many of you. Colonel Jeff told me, have been writing in saying, by the way, because of that Christmas story I tell about getting all the gifts for people in the Music Box store, and that the story I'm going to continue to tell once a year about how the guy winds up but uh, trying to get something for Uncle Arnie and just couldn't, you know, the, does he drink coffee? And that's, it's, a very, it's a very funny story, and it's a fun story. And uh, people have been writing in saying, so what did you get for Uncle Arnie for the update? and uh, what did you get him since you didn't get him a music box and since uh, since uh, the story goes the way it goes but you didn't get him anything and so colonel jeff said so why don't you just tell people uh this week because they've been writing in what did you get for uncle arnie that year and in a great moment in broadcasting history i think we're skyping so i can see him he can see me and i looked at him and he looked at me and i said well i i don't know i i really i really don't know And uh, I said, wouldn't it be weird if I got him coffee after the guy tried to get him coffee? And uh, I said, I really don't know. Maybe it's one of those gift seasons where you just say, hey, I got 16 gifts already. You know, next time he's visiting, I'll just just give him a book, you know, on the Council of Trent or something. And uh, maybe I did get him a book. I don't know. It's the same thing, you know, sometimes with relatives or friends. And, you know, I really, really care about him. And by the way, so I have no idea. And But here's my promise. When I tell the story again next December, because it's going to be a yearly thing where I tell that story again, I will either remember what I got him or make something up that seems to fit. So uh, that's the Uncle Arnie update, except there's a tiny bit more of it. Uncle Arnie, when he was staying with us uh, two weeks ago, saved the day with a rubber band. He's one of those guys who can do that. It was really neat. Uh, He said to me, not save the day, but we had had, all the whole family over, like, and nephews and their families and kids and everything. So we had some champagne. We had uh, several bottles of champagne there that my uh, wife was uh, pouring. And one of the bottles was still half full, and uh, the reason that's, uh, you know, it was only a few bottles of champagne, but the uh, and the reason the bottle was still half full or wasn't empty was because uh, my wife and I and our relatives were drinking whiskey and martinis. So it's, I mean, it's not as if, oh, so we weren't drinking much? No, we were just not drinking champagne. So everyone else just said, why do you have champagne here? Just pour me some more bourbon. Oh, okay. So at any rate, though, Half of the bottle of champagne was, uh, one of the bottles was still there. And I said, well, I guess I'll put some tin foil on it. He said, well, you're not going to throw it out. I said, I'm not going to throw it out. I'll put it in the refrigerator. And he said, "Uh, put a rubber band around it. Now, you know how sometimes when a relative, a loved one, a friend, anyone in the family, it doesn't matter, gives you a suggestion. You know how you're already walking out. I was already heading to work or something or I was already going shopping or pick up the kids or something like that. And so you're already halfway out the door, so you, you, you're you tempted to say, uh, look, you know what, ah, just forget about it, I'll just put the tinfoil on it. But then I stopped and realized, I've been saving rubber bands, like I think every American for the last 88 years, I save every rubber band we get because it feels too much like a whole thing to throw out. It feels like a unit of of a tool, of something that you can't just throw out. I don't want to throw out a rubber band. It's perfectly useful. It's a rubber band. But in all these years, I just put them in the drawer in the pantry that has the batteries and a couple of wrenches in it. And uh, because in all these years, I don't know about you, but I have never used one of the rubber bands. And so there are a lot of rubber bands in there. I've never used them. I still save them. In fact, when we sell the house, I'm, I'm thinking every American house when it gets sold, maybe the real estate agent or the new people who move in have to throw out all the rubber bands because they have their own. Because no one, no one throws rubber bands out. And when Uncle Arnie said, "You know, you can uh, hold that down with a rubber band. Let me show you how. I'll tie it down with, with a rubber band," because he's handy. And I said, instead of just sloughing it off and saying, "Hey, look, I'm going to get the kids. Forget it," I said, "Wait a minute. That's actually useful. I can use." one of the rubber bands i have now in the drawer in the pantry so i said wait a minute hang on a second and i went and got a rubber band i gave it to him and he didn't just put it around he did it in some kind of sailor's knot way or some kind of thing you know he did like a a sheep shank or a sheep dip or whatever the heck it is you know or and then he just it formed a pattern like with an x and it really held it on there and I said, "Get a load of you! That's one of those uncle things from uh, where someone who grows up in the in the Depression. You know how that is. That they all those people they could do anything. You can uh, you take the, the skin from the fish, and it you know becomes a band aid or something like that. They used everything for everything. And so I said that was that was pretty slick for for Uncle Arnie. And uh, yet he couldn't save me from an event that happened just the, just the next day." that took me on this trip, and this has become now a bald-headed father update. That's right, a bald-headed father update. It is a bald-headed father making breakfast for the kids update, and we're going to put a photo on Facebook. I sliced my head again. This is got to be 17, 19, 23 times the exact same spot, because when I'm making breakfast for the kids and there's the chaos and the normal tumult of, no, don't hit him, don't hit him. Will he hit me? All right, hit him, but once, hit him once. And as you're putting breakfast at now, eat the, no, you have to eat the fruit. No, you can't have no syrup because and i'm making four different breakfasts and now get that as i'm making their lunches and i beg a great lunch i beg if i may say perfect lunches perfect sandwiches and everything is in the right place and as i'm doing all these things at once which i enjoy it makes me feel in control of something in life that i can do all these things at once as you know it feels like a very male thing as you know it feels like a very fatherly thing and a husband thing as you know but 17 or 40 times so far One of the kids leaves open the same cabinet, the same exact cabinet, and I hit it as I'm saying, no, put him down. No, you got to get, no, that's before the teeth. And as I'm doing all the father stuff, he leaves it open. Dad, can we get down this more. You didn't pour the glitz. Okay, I'll get it. And I turn at 14 miles an hour, turn right into the cabinet with my head, and it slices it, folks, in the exact same spot. Now, men who have hair, fathers who have hair never have to worry about this it's no big deal. This is only for bald fathers because if you hit your skin if you're if you're bald, there's nothing to protect the head and the the skin, as you know, on the top of a head bleeds a lot it's very th- it's thin skin but as many times as this happened and it went gee I went into again and I looked at the kids, the one who had said, Hey Dad, can get, get me a glass and it was, I felt like Alan King because I looked back at him with a baleful look and as I told the colonel, you know, I felt like me- gonna measure him for a backhand, but then, then he just darted out and decided to go brush his teeth. But there I am, and the other, and the other one says, "You know, I think you're bleeding again, Dad, because this happens. I'm bleeding again." So they go to brush their teeth. I finish bagging their lunches. I'm bleeding. There's blood coming down my head. I look like I've just been in a fist fight in England in 1788, and that my head is bleeding. And I put a wet napkin on it, a wet paper towel. I walked into the a great moment in marriage history. I walked into the bedroom where my wife, who's on hiatus now from her show, is sitting there with a bowl of fruit. I got her and she's watching a morning show. She's sitting up in bed. And I said a really classically incoherent husband thing of just, that's it. I want those cabinets gone. I'm tired of cutting my head. I don't care what. We, we're getting new cabinets. That's what I'm telling you. We're going to get cabinets made of meat. I don't know, made of rubber, something, because I, I, I'm i tired. I will not cut my head again. And of course, it's a great spouse, spouse moment because she she chose to just look at me and let me finish. And then just look back at me and say, okay, and then I just turn back around and finish making their lunches. But we'll show you this. Uh, that's the bald-headed father update. It makes me so in the end, of course, it make, what makes me mad? Why am I mad about this? Because it's my stupidity, that's why. Is it the fault of a kid for leaving a cabinet open? In a small way, but no, it's just my fault for not learning that that might happen and just keeping my wits about me and not slamming the exact same spot on my head and having it bleed again. And the other thing that's annoying is you'd think it would scar over. It's the, folks, the exact... Same spot. I mean, to the millimeter, to, to, it's the exact same spot, the exact same angle, the exact same cut, the exact same bleeding, the exact same scab, the exact same healing. You'd think it would be scar tissue at this point. You'd think it would be, you know, like a like a, a, a the hoof of a rhinoceros or something. That it would be just something where, or or a horn, you know, that it would be like an animal's horn. It would just very very rough. Or the skin of a rhinoceros. No, it keeps getting cut. You'd think that in the same spot, my scalp would be saying to the cabinet, ha-ha, but we've scarred over now, so you can't cut us. You, you, you'd you, think that would happen, but it didn't. So that's my bald-headed father update, and that's the Uncle Arnie update. And there is a wonderful thing that I have a chance to tell you, and it's the first time, maybe not the second time, it's the... Macintosh Apple update. That's right. It's the Macintosh Apple update. The Macintosh Apple update. I think I've been telling you, and I know I have, because someone came to one of the shows in Springfield with a bag full of fresh, farm-grown Macintosh apples. It was such a sweet thing to do. And I and I really would like to say their names, but I actually lost the brochure in the hotel room here. This is just six minutes before Colonel Jeff and I started Skyping. This is unbelievable because I'm packing. I'm leaving here, but I, I don't know where it could possibly be. This is a real exercise in stupidity for me, but I have the bag here, and I'm proud to hear that. That's the bag that the apples came in, and I'm proud to plug these folks because I wondered how I could get Macintosh apples because no one in Southern California has Macintosh apples. And I thought they were grown just in Washington State. They're my favorite apples. The kids love the apples. We we eat other apples, but no one likes them. We're Macintosh apple people. And it's just the greatest apple out there, I think. It's sort of like... The Coca-Cola of apples to me. And, uh, in fact, if if Macintosh ever needs a slogan, they're, wel- they're welcome to that one. We're the Coca-Cola of apples. <laughs> Remember that people used to do stupid things like that. The Cadillac of apples. And, <clears throat> pardon me, at any rate, this is, I'm proud to plug them. They're not sponsoring us, but maybe they will someday. And I'm going to call them as soon as I get home. This is Roger's... Orchards. So the family name is R O G E R S, and they actually put the apostrophe after the S, which makes me so happy. So they write it correctly. It's Rogers Orchards, and they uh, sell here apples, peaches, pears, vegetables, farm, bakery. And their motto in quotes is fine fruit growers for eight generations. That's pretty good. Of course, they've had 12 generations there, so they had four generations that weren't that good. No, I'm just being silly. That eight generations of being apple growers. In Connecticut, and this is in Southington. These guys drove up from Connecticut, and I'll, I'm proud to give you, by the way, uh, their sales room number, Sunny Mount, uh, which is uh, apparently says halfway up Southington Mountain, whatever that is, but it's very cute, and the number is 203 No, 879- 1206. There's a website as well, but that's on the brochure that I've lost here in the hotel room. So I'm going to make one more effort to try and find it. But I'm going to call these guys. You can get boxes, crates of these things shipped anywhere in the continental United States, and I'm going to get one. And that will be that. And I'm going to have Macintosh apples for me and the kids for the rest of our lives because I can get them from Connecticut. I didn't even know they grew in Connecticut. I don't know why for two years in a row now. I can't get them at Ralph's in Southern California. But there you are. So I'm proud to plug these guys. It was very sweet of those people to come. And if I had the brochure, I'd be able to say what their names are because they, they're members of the uh, Larry Miller Drinking Society and they're very nice people. And they came to the show. It was very sweet because I'd been talking about Macintosh Apple. was very sweet that they brought some over. So that's the Macintosh Apple update. And I also want to throw in a hamper update. That's right, a hamper update. A hamper update. Because several people have been saying, a lot of folks came to the show. It's very nice, by the way, because the Larry Miller Drinking Society met Friday night here. It's very nice. We have some wonderful people in uh, folks who listen to the show. And, uh, well, like you, like everyone who listens. And they came by. We had a very nice time together. And so, you know what, though? They said, each of them said, there was one of the guy's wives who had said, you know, I just love the hamper updates because... There's just something about them. I don't know why. I just can't wait for a hamper update. There's really nothing ever revealed. And I said exactly the point. It's just very tiny. So I feel the same way. So the hamper update this week is that people like the hamper updates. And there's really no news in the one at home. Unless, of course, on this 10-day trip where I'm away, someone has taken the hamper out. But I don't believe anything nefarious has happened like that. The hamper update is that it makes me happy to know that people like the hamper updates. So, uh, and this is wonderful because uh, the, this leads us into. We had a great time, by the way, at the Larry Miller Drinking Society. I have to say again, folks come, and I will uh, I will always put that in in the jobs I have coming up because you know what, it's very meaningful. Folks come with the cards, and I there's a little. A clipper, like a hole puncher, in the shape of a martini glass. And uh, every time we have a drink together, I punch people's cards there. It's fun. It's just more fun for the show here. So in any case, that brings us around very neatly to the joke of the week. That's right, the joke of the week. And today's joke of the week is one that always... uh, Always made me laugh. I said to Colonel Jeff uh, before the show, hey, wait a minute, I don't think I have a joke this week. I forgot. I wrote a couple down, but they're on my desk back at home. Not here in the uh, in the hotel room, 824 at the uh, Sheraton Monarch. But, and look, after all, if I'm losing Apple Orchard brochures when they should be right in front of me, I'm not going to have the joke of the week. In any case, I remembered one, and I think this is a very good joke, and the Colonel liked it, and here we go. So, <clears throat> A priest and a rabbi are sitting next to each other on a park bench, and they're both collecting charity for their congregations. The priest is sitting there with his hat turned up on his lap, and the rabbi with a beard and a uh, a long black coat. And the rabbi is sitting with his hat turned up on his lap so that they can both get money, perhaps, for their congregations. And all day long, people come by, lean over to the rabbi, spit in his hat, glare right in his face and then not only put money in the priest's hat but put twice as much money in the priest's hat just just to really drive the point home. All day long, people walk by, spit in the rabbi's hat, glare at him, throw money into the priest's hat and then twice as much money into the priest's hat as they storm off all day long. Spit in the rabbi's hat, money in the priest's hat and by around four in the afternoon, a good Samaritan from across the park walks over and says to the rabbi, Rabbi, I'm, I'm sorry for butting in but I... I, I if I may say, sir, I, I think you'd find you were getting less abuse if you weren't sitting next to the priest. Maybe if you moved to a different bench uh, in another part of the park. And the rabbi turns to the priest and says, Hey, Moish, get a load of this guy telling us our business. I think that's a very funny joke. And so it turns out, yes, it's another clever another clever game of, Hey, wait a minute, these guys figured out a way to make some dough. In any case, that also uh, brings us to... And by by the way, once again, there there are many... I just remember another rabbi-priest joke. There are a lot of great rabbi-priest jokes. It's like there are a lot of great Moses and Jesus playing golf together jokes. Maybe I'll have to go into that world. There are a lot of structures that really work. It's sort of like, you know, and you know how this goes. There are a lot of wonderful joke structures of... A Frenchman, a German, and an Italian are flying in a plane, and the plane is going down in flames, you know, one of those things, and they each have a choice or something like that. Those are always very silly jokes, very funny jokes. But uh, now this brings us back to the Poetry Corner. That's right, the Poetry Corner. And by the way, two of the Larry Miller Drinking Society members uh Peter Nelson who works at my old school Amherst College and Patrick Bresnahan came in and they were a lot of fun to hang out with and Peter brought another Robert Frost poem not the one I'm going to tell you this week but I hope you guys like this again it's the third it was very meaningful cuz he 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 brought a little booklet with a Robert Frost poem cuz he liked that I had uh, that we've added this poetry and I hope you do too this is the third week we've done it and this is and remember the rules of this at least to me are a poem that's short enough to tell that's moving that's interesting that means something and hopefully is entertaining to you and it's it's not that it's high bro I don't like to get poems that are either too modern to follow or too long so it's just something that we can we can put in and it's very very gratifying i always thought for years and years and years, I always thought, gee, if I ever had a radio show, maybe I'd do something with poetry, just because it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful addition to all our lives, and, not, and something we don't do much anymore. And this is another one I have in my memory because it's something from seventh or eighth grade, and I did a little essay on it and describing this poem. And it's another Robert Fro- Frost poem. I think it's kind of well known. It's called "Stopping by a Woods." on a snowy eve. And this poem doesn't need to be explained so much. There aren't references in it, like uh, last week, well, you know, uh, Keats Emerite or something like that. There are no references that need to be explained, and I think the language is pretty straightforward. But it has a wonderful rhyme scheme. It's A-A-B-A and then B-B-C-B. What that means is the first verse, for instance, the first stanza is... Uh, Just by example, whose woods these are, I think I know his house is in the village, though he will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. And then the second standard takes the here, the third line there, and then rhymes that. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the coldest evening of the year. And then the lake is rhymed in the third standard. So as you know, when I do these poems that I like to explain, give something to look for. You'll hear how nice that is when the rhythm uses the, the rhyme just that way. And also, what always touched me about this poem, it's like a lot of Robert Frost. First of all, I'm in New England now. I'm in Springfield. I'm in western Massachusetts. We were in the Berkshires yesterday. We went to the Norman Rockwell Museum in Stockbridge. It's a beautiful, beautiful country and very specific New England and western Massachusetts looks really like no other place. And that's good in our country, though. Wherever it is, whether it's you know the, the, on the, one of the Gulf states or in, in the Pacific Northwest, it really looks very much just like itself. So when Robert Frost wrote a poem like Stopping by a Woods on a Snowy Eve, this poem really makes me feel like it's 1910. And we all had sleighs. And this is the way people got around in the middle of winter in western Massachusetts. When they had either business, they were coming home, they were going somewhere, it's late at night. So what I like so much is that Frost really makes me feel that I was there. That I'm that guy who has stopped his sleigh in the middle of the night just to take a look at this woods. Even though it's cold, And even though he's going someplace, he has stopped to take a look at this woods. So here we go, stopping by a woods on a snowy eve. Whose woods these are, I think I know. His house is in the village, though. He will not see me stopping here to watch his woods fill up with snow. My little horse must think it queer to stop without a farmhouse near, between the woods and frozen lake, the coldest evening of the year. He gives his harness bells a shake to ask if there is some mistake. The only other sounds, the sweep of easy wind and downy flake. These woods are lovely, dark and deep, But I have promises to keep And miles to go before I sleep And miles to go before I sleep I love how he repeats again that something for us does a lot repeats that last line twice and so it's just a guy stopping by a woods or I remember from 7th or 8th grade we talked about or is it someone considering ending life? Is it someone actually thinking about ending his life? Is it a metaphor for something else that he stops and he says, you know what, I I can't take it anymore wherever I have to go or where, wherever I've come from. Uh, those woods look beautiful. The woods meaning eternity. The woods meaning jumping into something. They're lovely, dark, and deep. But then he comes around to say, well... But I have promises to keep. So he chooses life again. And miles to go before I sleep. Sleep meaning, well, the next life. Or sleep meaning eternal sleep. Well, I have miles to go before I sleep. And miles to go before I sleep. I think that's a beautiful poem. And I hope you like it. And it meant something there. We... uh, we had a chance, Tony and I to go to. I mentioned that norman rockwell museum it 's very meaningful and it actually wound up being something funny with a macintosh apple norman rockwell if if you if if you like him it 's wonderful stuff the stuff sometimes and they're all original oil paintings and to look at them sometimes is so moving there uh, there are one he takes all the mothers when there's a mother with a baby in a doctor's office and the father is standing behind them he does this all the time with the with the women that right. in uh, rockwell has the father is very nervous and like most men he's holding his hat he can't quite relax he doesn't know really what he's listening to but that mother And every time he draws women like this, the mother is so calm and centered and is really in control there. And she's very calmly listening to what the doctor says, even though the father really isn't listening the same way. And even though the father isn't really in touch the way the mother is. I love the way he handles women and and mothers in his paintings. Very meaningful. And then I took, I was feeling so good as Tony and I walked out, I took one of the Macintosh apples out and I decided, how do you like that? And I'm, and there was a woods there and I actually thought here I'm stopping by a woods. It's not snowy and it's not an evening, but I'm going to have this apple and I ate it. And then I realized apparently no one running the Norman Rockwell Museum thinks very much of trash cans. So I looked around, I looked at toys, I said, there's no trash cans here. Then there's a picnic area about 50 feet away. Well, there's got to be a trash can at a picnic area, right? No, I walked to the picnic area. They have Ten picnic tables with benches on either side. No trash cans. None. No trash cans. Now, I don't want to walk the hundred yards back to the museum. I'm sure they'll have one there. But I thought, well, you know, apples are biodegradable. If I just throw it into the woods, it degrades. It actually helps. It creates mulch. I'm sure you know that. Apples. I'm not trying. I'm not trying to be Johnny Appleseed, but I know that I can just toss the apple in. I said to Tony, you know, if I just toss the apple in, he said, yeah, it's great. There's nothing wrong with that. You don't need a trash can. I said, he said, it's actually better. I said, okay. So I did that. I walked over to the woods because now we're in the parking lot and we're going, we have to go. We have a show that night. So we're going back to Springfield to get ready for the show. And so I tossed, took the apple and just kind of tossed it underhand about 30 feet into the woods. And as I turned around, there was a family getting out of their car to go to the museum, and, of course, they thought, I'm the worst man since Hitler. They thought that, oh, look, why is the bald man making the world dirty by throwing his garbage into the beautiful woods? And so there was just a silent, not a staring contest, but the uh, the father and the mother are staring at me with that kind of small head shake of how could you do that how can you be you how can you live like this and the children are actually doing the same thing and the mother the mother took the children and said let's go bobby <laughs> come on carol and clearly saying let's get away from the very bad man and so now i'm forced to not follow them, but just go. You know, as we're walking to the to the through the parking lot, I'm just going to Tony's car, our rental car, just to say, you know, uh, it's funny that apples, you know, they uh, buy they degrade. You know, they just go right into and you know, just a quick thing. I'm not walking up to them. I don't want to annoy them, but I just want a little explanation. You like a wave of the hand, going, you know, it's funny. I uh, knew I could throw the apple in there because, as I'm sure you know, the apples just go back to n- nature and actually help the ground, but they. Oh, It was so stupid. All that I did was they quickened their pace away from me. That's all that happened. So now I just, oh, good Lord. And now I just got in the car with Tony and said, what happened? I said, oh, just drive. It doesn't matter. I just... I may have to blow my brains out because now I know that there's a whole family that thinks what an awful man Larry is. They're going to they'll be flipping around watching seeing me on Shake It Up or something and just say, "Remember that bad man? He's the man and the story will grow then." Like I took a whole bag of McDonald's stuff and just threw it into the woods. You know, like the, the way people sometimes toss it out of their cars. So in any case, folks, uh it's was it's been very meaningful to be here in springfield western massachusetts is beautiful it's robert frost country it's norman rockwell country and you know what I can't wait to come back here again. I'm going to Toronto today. And March 29th, by the way, I'll be at the Richmond Hill Center in Richmond Hill, just outside Toronto. On April 12th, I'm going to be in Macomb, Illinois, at still my favorite name for any theater I've been to, the Bureau of Cultural Affairs at Western Illinois University, which just sounds to me like a, a theater in Romania in in the 30s. But I'm, I know it's a wonderful place, by the way. April 13th, the McKinnon Arts Center at the College of DuPage, Glen Ellen, Illinois. I'm not even sure people from Glen Ellen can say all that, but I can. April 13th, the McKenninch Arts Center, College of DuPage, Glen Ellen, Illinois. And on April 14th, the Elgin Community College in Elgin, Illinois. This is all for cocktails with Larry Miller. Please come by if you're there, and the Larry Miller Drinking Society will be meeting afterwards it's been very meaningful being back here in in massachusetts and uh, as always i hope you enjoyed the show be well uh, help us on the million martini march tell your friends come by if the larry M- uh, miller drinking society is meeting but uh, tell your friends and uh, let's keep the uh, show growing it's very meaningful to us over here at uh, at ace very meaningful to colonel jeff and dr chris and me so thank you for helping And uh, I'm going to Toronto, then I'm going to D.C., and hopefully I'll be home uh, next week at the end of the week. And you know what? The next time then we speak, we'll be back from Ace Broadcasting again. Remember, as always, folks, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to, and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. And that is still the truest thing I know, whether I say it in Massachusetts or California. Be well, folks, and thanks. Larry Miller